Glad you guys are here this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad you joined us this morning. If you're joining us online, glad you're joining us this morning, and uh, that you set out a little time to pursue God this morning. Um, we are in the book of Matthew, so if you have a Bible you want to follow along, Matthew 25 is where we're going to be, um, or you can follow along right here on our screen. Uh, but before we do, I, I don't think he's here. I didn't see him, but in spirit, can we... Can we give a round of applause as appreciation for Joe Hoover for preaching last week? Uh, one of the things that I love about Joe, and in fact, actually, basically everyone else that I asked to fill in to teach, is they have this really um, beautiful gift to, to be able to like punch you in the throat. And then you're like, yes, I love that. Right? Like, I, I, they, they just have something about them where they can say really hard things in a way that just you're like, oh, I am an idiot. Like, you're so right. Please tell me more. Um, when I try and do that, I just look like an idiot who punches people in the throat. So um, I'm grateful for people like Joe uh, who are part of our team. Uh, Matthew 25. So if you have, okay, I'm going to give you a heads up because you're going you're gonna to look at it. If you open it up, you're going to see um, it's about money. Right now, you you might this you might be thinking this you might be, Sean, two out of three weeks, last three weeks, two out of three weeks you preached on money. Only reason it hasn't been three out of three is because I was on vacation last weekend. Um, but you might think this you might think <laughs> churches probably have money problems, isn't it? No, not at all. Um, it's one of the beautiful gifts of teaching verse by verse is it just happens to be the passage we come to next. So here's my hope. Here's my hope, okay? I just, because anytime money comes up, we talk about money, it's an emotional reality. Money is emotional reality, okay? Um, I hope that by the time we're done here today, that you're gonna see that if you're patient and just kind of relax, breathe and don't get panicky. Nobody's going to be checking on your bank account. Um, you know, we don't have any sort of special offering at the end of service, none of that kind of stuff. That, that, that what you'll see is that what Jesus is talking about actually is way bigger than your money. It has something to do way deeper with your soul that is so important to each of us. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Let's just get into it and look at it. V verse 14, it says this, Matthew um, 25 Verse 14, again, this is Jesus speaking, okay? Now, you, there's some important things you gotta know about this word if you, if you haven't been here, if you missed a couple weeks, okay? Um, Jesus is talking about how everything's gonna kind of go in the end, right? When everything wraps up, wh wh whatever that looks like, wh whatever that's gonna amount to, when everything kind of rolls up in the end of all things, as a phrase that scripture might use, in the end of all things, What's it going to look like? And, and this is what Jesus is talking about, okay? So, so he says, again, it being the kingdom and God's plan when everything kind of wraps up will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to him, okay? It's like a man who owns all this stuff, goes on a journey and entrusts, here we go, I'm going to need some participation, whose wealth, his wealth, okay? Man goes on a journey and entrusted, here we go, say it again, entrusted his wealth, 
This can be a little bit of a call and response today because there's some important phrases that we just have to pound into our heads. Okay, so, so, so a man owns a bunch of stuff. He's going on a journey. He, he doesn't have to. Look, look, at, look at this. It doesn't say like, it's <laughs> a funny thing I think about. This. It doesn't say like the guy's going on a journey and he just had too much gold. Didn't have enough camels and he needed someone to take care of it. It doesn't say that. So he's going on a journey and he entrusts, he, he, he has faith. He, he, he gives generously to manage. Uh, the word in this translation, he uses as servants, but, but another very good word, maybe the most literal translation would be the word steward, but we don't really have any social concept for what that means today. I mean, the closest we have is a stewardess, which had totally different conversations of anything to do with. Maybe a good translation here would be manager, right? God is the owner and we're the managers. Now, if you've gone through Rooted, we have this concept. We look at actually this very passage when we talk about money. And one of the things we talk about during Rooted is this. We, we say that one of the great risks, one of the great dangers we have in America is what we call ownership confusion. We, we've believed this myth, this lie that in a lot of ways is unique to American culture in the last 200 years, maybe 150 years. Most of human history has not had the same view of stuff. We've believed this lie that I own stuff, that it's mine. Title on the car says my name. The, the, mortgage, the mortgage payment, I mean, sure says my name, that I pulled out my card and I paid with money, numbers on a screen, you know? It's mine. I, it's my, one of the great risks we have in the 21st century in America is this myth to believe that the stuff that you own, that you have, that you own, we have ownership confusion. But, but look at the start of this story. This is how it begins. The guy who owns the stuff entrusted his wealth. And this isn't just a conversation about money. It's about resources. It's about opportunity, it's about intellect, it's about jobs, it's about relationships. In fact, it's about the very breath you breathe. Scripture says that God breathed life into each one of us, that it is his breath that indwells our lungs. That this day, that every good thing, Scripture says, is a gift from God, it's all his. And one of the important things that we need to remember today, that we need to understand today, is that everything that you think you own is actually owned by God. It's his, and we are not the owners. We are the managers. He entrusted, here we go, he entrusted one last time his wealth, that everything that you have is, comes from the good God and good Father who richly has blessed you with every good thing in your life, Scripture says. Now it says this. Every, I'm just going to tell you right now, okay? When I, when I go through this story and I read this story, everything about this story just blows my mind. This story is crazy. Now maybe, here's the reality. Maybe for a lot of you, you spend a lot of time in church and like you think you know the story and you're like, oh yeah, five, two, one, blah, 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 wicked servant, blah. Like you think you know the story. The whole story is nuts, there's nothing about this story that makes any sense. Okay, here we go. Ready? Here's my point. To one, he gave five bags of gold. 
Okay? Now, in older translations, and you may see this in your translation, you're holding a Bible in front of you, it may say five talents. A lot of translations gone away from using that word because it's an accurate word. It's um, a, what's called a transliteration. They took a Greek word and they made an English word out of it that kind of sounds the same, okay? Um, it, it's, it's, called a tra- it's, it's an accurate word, but when we think of five talents, we start to mix them up with like spiritual gifts and we start thinking like, oh, God gave me five things I'm good at or God gave me two things I'm good at or God gave me one thing. And that's not at all what this is. A talent in, in Jesus's day was a, was a measurement of money. It was an amount of money. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what a talent was, which is why I like the bags of gold, because it's a little bit um, ambiguous, right? Um, my, my daughter, just the other day, uh, she asked me this question, didn't know I was teaching on this. She's probably watching online right now. She asked me this question. She said, Daddy, um, how much is a bar of gold worth? I've never had to concern myself with that question. If we're just going to be honest, like that's, I've never thought, you know, next time I get a bar of gold, right? And, and that's a little bit of this question, like how much is a bag of gold? Who knows how big the bag is, right? It could be like this little bag. It could be like one of the like 50 pound coffee bean bags. Like it's, but, but it's a lot. So, so here, um, historically, historians and, and commentators discuss how they think you should translate a talent into modern equivalent funds, okay? But here's the most conservative estimate. Almost nobody actually believes this. Um, the most conservative estimate is that a talent or a bag, one bag of gold is about 10 times an annual salary, okay? So j- just in your mind, Whatever your household income is, right? We're approaching the middle of March. For those of you who are procrastinating, that means you have about five weeks to do your taxes, okay? So you should kind of have an idea of how much money your household made last year, okay? And and for those of us who aren't good at math, take that number and just add a zero. Move everything over, move the comma, move the period, all that, okay? That's one talent, one bag of gold. Now, multiply that by five. Some of you are going to have to pull out your calculator right now, okay? Here, here's the point. This is a nutty amount of money. Like, this is absurd. That's the most conservative. Most historians think that it meant at least 20, probably 50, and on the outlier of the other extreme, some people think it meant 100 years of salary. <laughs> Do the math. Take whatever number is in your head of what a salary for a year should be, add two zeros, and then multiply that by five. That is ridiculous. Is that not crazy? If someone came to you and said, um, hey, um, how much money do you make in a year? And you tell them how much money you make. And they said, um, I'd like to give you 500 times that number. You hang on to it. Isn't that nuts? This is a crazy story. Five times. 50 or 100 times. You don't seem as shocked as me. Okay, we're going to move on. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two. Right? That's still a nutty amount of number. Think about your salary, add two zeros, and then double it. That is still a nutty amount of number and money. And one... And to one, he gave, he gave one. That's still a ridiculous, for most of us, 
One talent, one bag of gold, a hundred times your salary would be like mega bucks lottery winning kind of money. That's a huge amount of money. And then look at this, look at this. We don't have a lot of time to get in this, but this is an important thing. Each one according to his ability. Here's the thing. Uh, we don't have a ton of time for this, but I just, um, I, I have this like growing theory in my mind that prosperity isn't actually a sign of God's blessing. It's an incredible burden. It, it's, we, we in America, we kind of have this confusion that we think that like if God loves us and we're doing things right, that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and powerful. But sometimes one of the most gracious things God can do for you is not give you what you want because he knows under the weight of it, you would be crushed. A lot of you know the end of the story about the guy with one bag and think of the graciousness of God that he only lets him waste one bag and not five. Some of us, the most gracious thing God can do is to not give you what you've dreamed of and hoped for because he knows that it'd destroy you. But there's a weird thing that happens. It says this. But the man who'd received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, you remember my theory about this whole, this whole story is crazy. This whole story is weird. Like, here's the thing you have to know about the story. Jesus is making up this story. Okay, it's an important thing to remember about the story. Jesus isn't like, well, you know, the other day I was down at the bank and I saw a guy and he said, man, I'm going on a long journey. Anybody want to take some of my money with them? Oh, and then there was a guy and he gave him, you know, he just gave him five wheelbarrows full of gold and said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll be back sometime. This is an actual story that actually happened. Jesus is just making this up in his head. Okay, so, so he could have said anything. And there's some details you need to know. First is the, the one dude just buries it for some reason. We're going to find out later. This is an important part of why he buries it. But, but here's the other thing that you need to notice. We, we skipped a little section. We're going to skip some sections. Is that it says that, that one guy gets five bags of gold, Right? And then do you remember, what does the one guy with five bags of gold do? What does he do? Anybody remember? He doubles it. He doubles it. He gets five more, right? So doubles it, five more. You're right, right? He, he doubles it, he gets five more. The, the guy who gets two, what does he do? He doubles it. He gets two more, right? And then there's a guy who gets one and he buries it. He, here's why it's weird. In almost every other parable, Jesus gives us two options. Think about it. There's, um, uh, there's a story about the Pharisee and the tax collector who go in to pray, right? Jesus is, is, is showing a contrast between the Pharisee who says, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like that, that guy over there, and, and the tax collector. There's the people who build their house, right? He doesn't give us three options. He gives us two. He gives one who builds on the sand and one who builds on the rock, um, there are some stories where he gives us multiple examples, but in those examples, different things happen to every person, right? The farmer goes out with the seed and he casts the seed out. You remember the story? And, and some of them sprout up really quick and some of them just wither in the sun and get eaten by birds and some of them, right? All these different types of things. Jesus wants us to see the absurdity of this guy's decision. Because everybody else, the reason Jesus gives us two guys who do the exact same thing, who have the same exact thing happen to them, is he wants us to see how nuts this, how weird, how it doesn't make any sense. Nobody else in their right mind would have made this decision. 
In fact, everybody else would have understood that he's the owner, they're the manager, and they would find ways to manage or steward or care for the things that God has entrusted to us. When we come to this guy in the story, our minds should just go, like, what, what, what is going on in his head? Nobody else in their right mind would, would do this. Now, you, you may know how the story goes. It um, says this, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. We, we already discussed that, right? Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Here's the important thing that we need to be reminded. Again, ownership confusion. God is the owner. We are the managers. God is the owner. We are the stewards. God is the owner. We are the servants. Look, he, he begins this, master, you entrusted me with. Here's, here's the question I want to ask you. First question I want to ask you is, how would you finish that sentence? God, you've entrusted me with my job, my family, relationships, opportunity, a mind, intellect, God, you entrusted me. How would you finish this sentence? God, you entrusted me with. You took what was yours. And, and maybe, maybe all you're willing to say today, because maybe um, you have some self-confidence issues, you have some doubt, you have some shame, whatever it is in your mind, and maybe all you can muster today is, God, you've given me this breath for this day. God, you, you entrusted me with today. So what are you going to do with what he's entrusted you with? Look at how God responds. And he responds to the guy with five the same exact way he responds to the guy with two, okay? He says this, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Here, okay, okay, breathe, breathe, and listen to this story. Be with me in this story. Listen to it for the first time. God just told him that he gave him 500 times his annual salary. And the guy comes back with 500 times more. And this is God's answer. Few things. I don't know what that number is for you, but that's crazy. Right? Few things. My kids, um, they'll see a, a nickel on the ground. Right? If you're, if you're old enough, you know, maybe a penny would be the same kind of illustration. They'll see a nickel on the ground. And they'll like... They'll fight each other for it, right? They're like whittling shanks out of sticks on the side of the road to fight each other for this nickel, right? Me, I'm, I'm gonna be real honest, okay? I'm gonna be honest. If I'm walking and I don't see it when I'm in stride, it's a nickel, right? Right, maybe it's a penny, it's there. If, if, if I'm not walking in stride, if I'm not right, wearing the right pair of jeans that have a long enough shirt, Anybody else? I'm in a public place. I'm like, eh, it's not worth the nickel, right? Just a nickel. My kids are like, it's gold, right? But this, this is what God says. 500 times annual salary. 
just, just a nickel. Just a little thing right there. Just a, just a, just a, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just take care of it for a minute. It's just, it's not a big deal. It's just a few things. This is the God that we, which scripture says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which translates to meaning absolutely zero to us. But here's, here's, here's what, what, I, what I want you to think of. For God, 500 times your household income is like a nickel sitting on the ground that nobody's going to bend over to stop to grab. It's just a few things. Right? This is the wealth of the God that we worship and serve. He lacks nothing. I'll put you in charge of many things. I mean, again, just ponder for a moment. If 500 times your annual salary is God's way of saying that it's nothing, it's just a few things, it's just little. What, what does many things mean? Come and share in your master's happiness. I love this. This word here, it's a perfect translation of it. Um, but the Greek word is, is literally the image of laughter, right? Which is a fitting word for happiness, isn't it, right? Like happiness and laughter, like that's a good correlation. It's a perfect translation, sharing your master's happiness. But think, but think about it. This is the invitation that God is giving you in everything he's trusted and trusted you with. What God has entrusted you with is not there to be a burden, or an obligation or an obedience to a law, it's an invitation for you to join him in his laughter, to join him in, in, in goodness and life. This is, this is what God wants for you. And everything that he's entrusted you with is an opportunity for you to join in his laughter and joy and happiness and rejoicing and how beautiful it is. How awesome it is when we, as the church, as people of God, get to be a part of God, God bringing restoration and reconciliation through what he's entrusted to us. I mean, if we just want to talk about generosity and stuff, right? It's awesome. If, if, if you have many, uh, uh, um, every Mother's Day, we start a diapers and wipes drive and we do it for about a month. And the last couple of years, we've filled the 12 foot trailer that we have with diapers and wipes. And it is awesome. It is so much fun to be part of the team that gets to go over to DHS. And every single year, they have enough turnover at DHS, which is a different conversation, but they have enough turnover at DHS that every single year people come out for the first time and it's j just their mind. The, the trailer opens this last year. It was perfect. The trailer doors open and some stuff had disheveled a little bit. And so literally boxes of diapers and wipes just fell onto the ground, right? And their brain just kind of like, and there's a little panic in some of them. Like, oh, I don't know what to do with all this stuff, right? And a couple years ago, we were having this conversation about where they were just like shoving him under desks. And, and, then, and then a week later, we, we get to come and we get to show a video and it's awesome. And how much fun is it that Sunday when we get to see just their minds blown and just shocked by the generosity of the people of God, loving on people that so many other people haven't noticed or cared about. Like, that's awesome, and it, it does something inside of you that like you don't really know what else to do. You just kind of want to smile and laugh. And that's the invitation that God has for you and everything that he's entrusted you with is an invitation to join in his laughter and his happiness as he redeems and restores what is broken. Think about back to school bash. You ever been a part of back to school bash? I mean, it is work because we, we, we try to plan it for the absolute hottest day in August. And so, and then we load every, we load trailers, we load trucks, we load tons of stuff up and we drive it up to Fall City or into Central School District. And by the time we're done, everyone's exhausted and everything's gone, but it's awesome. It's so fun to be a part of 
using what God has entrusted us to be about bringing restoration and healing to the things that are broken in this world. It's, it's, it's why it's so life-giving to be a part of like a cross-cultural mission trip is because you get to take some of your time and your energy and give and pour out. And <laughs> a couple years ago, we, um, well, we've done a couple of these that are just like, just abuse your body ridiculous trips to our sister church in Mexico. Um, one year we did 10,000 square feet of tile. And, and the, the problem, if you've ever done tile, um, that's a lot of tile. The, the problem with doing tile that I realized after we went was it doesn't have to be sunny to work. Like it doesn't have to be daylight to work. So our crew was there and there'd be guys like, when you do an outside job, when it gets dark, you have to be done, right? So those are the kind of jobs I like. Cause like about dinner time, about 6.30, it gets dark in Mexico. And then we're like, oh, bummer, can't work anymore. Let's go eat tacos, right? <laughs> and that's awesome. And this one we went, it was like, oh, well, it got dark. Let's turn on the lights and work till one in the morning, right? And then get back up and be here at 7 a.m. And it's exhausting. It's a physically exhausting, but it's awesome to give of yourself. To be, I remember we, we did their roof and we, and we sat around, um, again, 10,000 square foot roof because it's 10,000 square feet over 10,000 square feet tile, right? And we did this really stupid thing. I would never do it again because it was really dumb. And the, the roof is about 30 feet in the air. And we ripped off this corrugated roof, um, corrugated metal roof without any uh, safety harnesses. We were just up there and it was just, I mean, the fact that nobody died was, was a, a, a miracle of God. But um, we tore the whole roof off and replaced the whole roof. And literally, um, as Jared Pressler's here, Mark Powell, I don't know if he's here, they, they were up on the very top corner doing the very last pieces of tile while, I'm um, not tile, of roof. As you could see the storm coming in, it's a, kind of a big, huge plateau and you could see lightning and you could see just, it hadn't rained all week, just torrential downpour. If you've ever been in the South, like torrential down, like flash flood pouring and you could just see it like creeping towards and, and there's, they're up on top of a metal roof on top of a metal building screwing in. I was on the ground, not because I'm smarter, but because they pushed me off the roof. And so um, they're, they're up there and they, they put the last piece in and they're screwing the last piece in and all of a sudden the skies just open up and it starts pouring. And they're literally, it's all of a sudden it starts pouring so much that they're sliding off the roof to get off because it's just, there's rivers of water running down. And we got down and we stood down in the middle with the people from the church who'd been working with us and other people from the church. And we're all sitting or standing around just listening to this rain pouring down and people started crying. I mean, what a beautiful gift it is to be a part of our God's happiness. This is the invitation that God has for you and everything he's entrusted you with. But there's a guy who's got one. And it says this. Then a man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. This is a different response, isn't it? The other one says, Master, I, I, you entrusted me. You let me handle, you let me take care of some of your stuff. You trusted me. You believed that I could take care of this. I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and, and hid your gold in the ground. See, he, he, here's what, what belongs to you. I think that one of the very real risks for us, as I said from the beginning, is ownership confusion. 
thinking that we own the things. But here's the interesting thing about the story I hadn't noticed till just a couple weeks ago. The, the guy with one bag of gold wasn't confused about who owned it. He didn't have ownership confusion. Look, look, here. The stuff you gave me, it's yours. I'm, I'm just giving it back. I, 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 I'm giving it back to you. What you gave to me, I gave back to you. But, but here's the word that's really weird. Look at this word. I was afraid. Now, just, just listen to the story for the very, as if you're listening for the very first time. What about the story has told you that this owner is a person he should be afraid of? He's going on a trip. Hey, you know what? While I'm gone, I don't have need of all this stuff. You take care of it while I'm gone. And this man's response is fear. So here, here, here's the really uncomfortable reality that um, you can only be honest with yourself about. The way you handle your stuff, the way you handle your finances is, an, is a perfectly clear vision of the God you worship. If you are afraid, if you think that God is stingy and just at a moment, he's just waiting to crush you, He's just, he's just, he's just waiting for you to disappoint him. And he's like, Hey, you didn't, you didn't read your Bible this morning. Flat tire. <laughs> then you'll handle your money. You'll handle your resources. You'll handle your opportunities in just that way. And in, in fear, if you think that God is, is stingy and, 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 and just giving you enough and just tolerating you. Just, just dealing with you. Or, or if you think that God doesn't care and he just left you to figure it out for yourself, you will live with a sense of poverty mindset and live in fear, even if your bank accounts are overflowing. I was afraid. The way you handle your money, the way you handle your stuff is a absolutely clear litmus test to see the God that you worship. If, however... You can live open-handed, generously, knowing that he, he's the God who owns a th- cattle on a thousand. He's the God who a nickel on the ground is just, is just 500 bags of gold. And five bags of gold is just 500 years of salary. It's just a small thing. It's just a little thing. But he's a God who is gracious and kind. If, if you know, he, here's um, one of the most common attributes of God. One in, in the Hebrew scriptures, one of the most common words used of God is a word that you kind of got to spit from the back of your throat. It, it kind of sounds like chesed. Often we translate it this, loving kindness. If you know that the God that we worship is defined by his loving kindness, and he's inviting you to participate in his joy, it will change the way you handle your money. It will change the way you handle the stuff he's entrusted you. It'll change the way you handle the days that you have. I was afraid. You're the only one who can look at the life you live, the schedule you live, the way you manage your finances, and know, do you respond to God out of fear? Or do you respond to God out of his generosity and his kindness? Now, like I said, um, the beginning, two of the last three weeks, we've talked about money. And a word that you have not heard me say in all of those two or three weeks is the word tithe. Now, if you don't know what the word tithe means, I just want to leave you with this. If you don't know what the word tithe means, it literally means a tenth. 
just for proper English, you can't tithe anything but 10%, okay? I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here, but you can't be like, oh, I tithe $50 and I make 7,000 a month. That's not a tithe, okay? You can't tithe 3%, the math, it doesn't work, okay? Tithe literally means a 10th. That's where we get the word, tithe, 10th, 10%, okay? You haven't heard me here um, use that word because uh, let me ask it this way. Can, can you be generous and give 1% of your income? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you can be incredibly generous because generosity is about your heart. Now your heart will shape your actions, but generosity is about the posture of your heart. Can you be incredibly stingy and give 10% of your income? Yeah, oh yes, you can. You can be some of the most stingy people are disciplined to a certain amount of money that they give because then they believe the ownership myth. They believe, well, I own the other 90%. Here's what scripture teaches us. God owns everything, but he's entrusted you. He's entrusted you with what he's entrusted you with so that you might join in his laughter. Let me show you, let me show you what this looks like. Um, about 10 years ago now, Relevant Magazine did a study and they put a bunch of numbers together. And I just want to read the four or five paragraphs at the beginning of this article that they wrote. And I just want you to hear uh, this, the invitation that God has for you. He says this, the church of today is not great at giving. This isn't exactly news, but it is, but it is a statistical fact. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of normal congregations. Only 5% of the U.S. ties, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% or less of their income, or 2% or more of their income to any nonprofit. 2%. Christians, self-identifying Christians, are only giving 2.5% per capita while during the Great Depression. And I just want you, I just want all of us, because this is us, this is us, just breathe in the shame and discomfort of this statement. Listen, listen to this. Christians are only giving 2.5% per capita while during the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. They lined up in soup lines and gave more money than we give. Numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't really the point. The larger point is that what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, say, 10%. There would be an additional $165 billion for the church to use and distribute. That's a, um, just in case you're not great at math, that's 165,000 millions. Here's just a few things the church could do with that kind of money. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years or less. 
$12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically a place in the world where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar per day. A billion dollars could fully fund all overseas missions work, and there would still be 100 to $110 billion left over in the first year. Now just think about that. What kind of freak out joy would there be? What kind of happiness would there be if, not even the church globally, but just the American church, what if just the American church eliminated hunger in five years? Would that be, not be awesome? Would you not be freaking out running? Wow, look at what we did! Eliminated water and sanitation issues. Well, what if, what if just the church in America did that in the first five years with money from the first year? Would that not be amazing? Eliminated illiteracy. Funded every single mission work. What if, what if we had billions of dollars sitting aside saying, please, please, we need someone to go. We got money sitting here and we need someone to go. How much joy and rejoicing and happiness would there be if articles all over the world were written about the generosity of the American church that's, that's healing the broken and bringing life and restoration to the pain and the broken? Would there not be rejoicing? You see, what, what God has entrusted you is not intended to be a burden. Your days, your opportunities, your relationships, your money are not there so that in obedience to a law, you check a box off and you pay your Jesus tax. But it's an invitation from God that you could join with him in his happiness and his joy, that you could be a river and not a reservoir that brings life and healing and hope to a broken world. You see that? That, that is why God has entrusted you. And the question is, what will you choose to do today? with what he's entrusted you with.